little fun, and uh, there's some prizes, just so you know. So I'm going to hum or whistle a tune. Now, just so you know, I'm not a great hummer or whistler, so you may have to do some real interpretation as to what the tune is, but the first person that I hear to shout out the name of that tune, I'm going to get one of the guys here. Um, Ben, can you be my runner? So whenever a prize is distributed, you can grab one of these and take it over, okay? All right. Okay, so we'll get started with, uh, these are songs, just so you know, on friendship. All right? So we'll start with an easy one. Yes, there you go. Now, what's the actual name of the song? Yes, there we go. All right, I'll be there for you. What's, who's the artist? I, <laughs> the Rembrandts, that's right, that's right. It's a theme song for friends, all right? Okay, all right, so now we'll switch, we'll switch some generational gears here for a minute, and we'll, um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll sing this one for you just so you can fill in the blanks. So, all right, uh, I get by with a little, all right, and by the, Man, I don't have enough licorice for all of you people. All right, I don't know. So uh, we'll, we'll call that a tie. All right. <clears throat> we'll move into the 70s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That was quick. All right. Just over there. Okay. Ben, can you run the licorice over? Just beside Dale. Okay. Um, all right. Now, kids, this one is just for you. Parents, if you know this one, that then you're not allowed to participate. Okay. Do none of you have the family channel at home? Yes, there we go. My friends, Tigger and Pooh. None of you have preschoolers in your house? All right. All right. Clearly, I'm alone in my TV watching preferences. All right. All right. Uh, we'll do another TV theme song for you. Thank you for being a friend. The theme of the Golden, Golden Girls. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. All right. Another one, another TV song. Yes, there you go, Jess. All right, Jess got it. It's a theme song from Cheers. You know, it's interesting to me how many TV shows have as a part of their core theme, the uh, theme of friendship, about how one goes about making, keeping, losing, regaining friends in all of these processes. And the idea comes across in all of these shows about genuine connection. What does that look like when people genuinely connect with each other in meaningful relationships? And these themes, though, are not native uh, or original to TV sitcoms. They actually find their roots in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament wisdom literature. And that's the section right in the middle of your Bible that was written by some of, the Bible tells us, some of the wisest people who ever lived. And there's actually, when you think about it, 
a significant chunk of the Bible is devoted to the theme and the discussion of friendship. Think about the New Testament. A lot of the New Testament was written as letters originally by one friend to another group of friends. And so when you're reading through, all of a sudden you come to the end of one of the books of the Bible, and suddenly the author's going on about a list of people saying, say hi to so-and-so for me, tell such-and-such that thanks that I could use their house when I was there last time. Like, why is this in the Bible? What in the world does this have to do with things? Well, it's a letter that's written uh, by, in that case, Paul to some of his friends. We're going to explore some of those things together uh, because the Bible does, throughout the course of the biblical narrative, give us lots of insight and wisdom on the theme of friendship. And so the Bible gives us uh, ideas as to what deep friendship looks like, how we can get it, how we can lose it, and why it's important. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look together at some of these themes as we probe into the wisdom of friendship. So let's pray together as we look into God's word this morning. God, we say thanks for the opportunity that you've given us uh, to be here in this place. We pray now that as we look into your word and as we engage in discussion with each other, that you would open up our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us this morning. We want to come with uh, willing hearts and ears to listen, God. We believe that you're alive, that you're active, that you speak through your word and in your gathered community here. And so, God, we pray that you would speak uniquely to each person and each life represented here this morning. Pray that you would strengthen our lives and our friendships as well. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you uh, and what your school memories are like. Ben, I'm going to steal my licorice back. Otherwise, I have, I have genuine fear for its uh, you know, safety for the remaining course of the morning. might get eaten by the guys in the front row. But uh, what happens when, at least in my memory, when you go back to school uh, in September, they do a little bit of a review, right, of the things that you were supposed to have learned last year and that you've forgotten in the summer? So we're going to do just a little review. Usually, in my mind anyways, it started with math. They always seem to think that we forgot math over the summer. So we'll start with a little bit of basic math review, all right? So uh, let me just ask, uh, if I have two licorice and I give one licorice to Ben for helping me and he eats it. All right, help me out, Ben. You gotta, how many licorice do I have left? Oh, Clearly, you guys should go to the front of the class for this. You're well ready to start the next year. All right, I'm going to throw it down there. Oh, good interception. Okay, now, Ben, help me out here. If I add another licorice and give it to you, would you rather have one licorice or two? Two. So would you say that two is better than one? Yeah. I would think so. All right, so that's for you as well. You can distribute it to your peeps if you want. All right? Okay. Now, you guys are all ready for grade two math. Congratulations. So this is good. This is good news. So, well, the Bible actually indicates to us the same truth when it comes to friendship. The simple reality that two are better than one. So let's look this morning at the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter four. 
And uh, if you don't uh, have a Bible, we'd be happy to provide you a copy with one. You can wander back to the Welcome Center. In case you haven't figured out, if you're new or visiting with us at Jericho Ridge here, we're a wonderfully casual bunch. And so you can wander back at any time, grab some coffee, head to the washroom, check out why in the world there's noise coming from the arena, go and check on your children. There's any numbers of excuses you can use to kind of wander over to the back there. Uh, But if you want to grab and pick up a Bible and you don't have a copy of one, just take it home with you. And that's our gift uh, to you. And we would love to engage in dialogue with you about how we can help you grow an understanding uh, of the Bible. But uh, where was I? Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Right. So this oddly named little book in the middle of the Bible is part of the wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature is that little chunk in the middle of your Bible that talks about how life works best in uh, as many words. And it does this in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's a little bit more poetic. Sometimes it breaks life down into little sayings or axioms like your parents used to do to try and help you remember things a little bit easier. And so here in Ecclesiastes, it's a combination of all of those things. And it starts in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, talking about the fact that two are better than one. A little short, pithy axiom that expresses a core truth about life. So follow along with me as I read from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is a case of a man who is all alone, without a child or brother, works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. So the first axiom about the wisdom of friendship is that if two are better than one, we have to ask the question, why are two better than one? What is the author trying to help us understand here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4? This text gives us a little bit of insight as it opens the discussion. Because one of the things that we realize is that we're created for connection with other people. The heart of this text is that the the author is lonely. The author is expressing that this is something meaningless that he's observed. People that are going through their life with a focus and an emphasis on other things other than relationships, and they're bankrupt in as many ways. This is true right through the narrative of scriptures. We see right away at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God says it's not good for a person to be alone. We're created by God for community and for connection with other people. Sociologists tell us that that sense of belonging and connection is what provides meaning and joy and fulfillment and direction to our lives. And that's really what the author is trying to echo and communicate here in verses 7 and verse 8. This person is a person who is devoid of, uh, in many ways, relational wealth although they have many, many other things. They're driven towards success and financial prosperity to the point that they actually do possess a lot of wealth, but they lack that human connection, and so they begin to ask questions of meaning and purpose in their lives. They begin to say, yeah, sure, I have nice stuff, but who in the world do I have to share it with? Sure, I I have some things at my disposal, but what can I do with them? Or to whom will I leave it for? Or why am I working so hard now? I'm not having any fun. I'm giving up human connection in favor of success in this case. But life without those connections 
the author comes to the conclusion is depressing and meaningless. Think about it for a minute. This person, it says, is working hard. So they're not, in that sense, maybe strictly speaking, alone, because this is written before the invention of telecommuting. So they're, if they're working, they're connecting with other people in some way, but they are still lonely. They're still friendless. And so one of the things that, as we look at this text, that we can observe is that you can actually be lonely without being alone. You can be lonely without being by yourself or alone. Several years ago, sociologist Robert Puntman wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And in that book, Puntman argues that we are rich in a society in many, many ways, but when it comes to genuine interpersonal interactions and connection and engagements for the good of others and the potential to establish meaningful friendships, we're losing ground as opposed to gaining ground. And Puntman uses the metaphor of bowling to explain this phenomenon, and he points out an interesting statistical observation. He says that over, uh, in the United States, over the last 25 years, there's been, statistically speaking, a significant increase in the number of people that bowl and participate in the sport of bowling. You can argue with me later whether it's called a sport or not. But... He says there's more people than ever in the United States that bowl. However, they've seen a drastic reduction in the number of people that bowl in leagues. So we have more people than ever participating, but they are bowling alone. In other words, they're choosing to do alone what they chose, used to choose to do together. And Putman's theory is that this impoverishes not only them, but also as our society as a whole in the area of human connection and friendships. People still go bowling. They just don't know the name of the person in the next lane or the name of the family that lives in the next house to them or the name of the person that works a few offices down from them. And Ecclesiastes 4, 7 and 8 reminds us that you can still be in the middle of a crowd, even here in this place today, you can be doing all right financially. You can be successful and look the part in every significant way, but you can still be miserable and bitter and lonely and isolated. So let me ask you a question, and this is a question for interaction and response. Can you think of some ways and examples in which our society might be feeding this sense of isolation or loneliness even though we're together often in crowds. What are some examples that you can think of or scenarios you can think of? What are ways in which our society might be feeding this? Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, okay, what do you mean by that? You could be connected but never with people. Yeah, you could still be alone or very lonely. Yeah, yeah. All right, other examples. MSN. Yeah, same tendencies, right? That we can, we can connect with people at a certain level, but what does that look like on an interpersonal level? Is that a genuine connection? I want to discuss following our time together. What else? Yeah, Josh. Email? Sure, same thing. We, could, we can email people and think that we're connected with them, but it may not be a genuine reflection of interaction. Yeah, what else? All right. Okay, all right. 
So Brian says he tends to answer his cell phone when he's talking in conversation with someone face-to-face. So that might be somehow more important or more urgent. And so it can create that sense of isolation. You're actually standing in the midst of a conversation but not actually talking to the person that you're addressing. Yeah, what else? Yeah, the actual, the design of architecture in the last century in North America fosters that very thing that Dave's suggesting, that we can actually go into our houses, we can transition from one box, our house box, we can get into our car box without ever getting outside, we can get out of the car box and get into the work box without ever having a genuine interaction with another person. I was in my car box the other day driving and I went through the drive-thru at Starbucks and the person asked me if I would like my drink to go. I thought, did you not hear anything that I said? Is it not clear to you that I'm in the drive-thru lane? I just, I'm like, you're not even hearing what I'm saying at all. There was no genuine interaction or connection whatsoever. And so some of the ways in which we live our lives and even the design down to the design of our homes can foster a sense of isolation, even though we're in closer density and proximity than maybe we've ever been in history before. I remember when we were building our house, we were talking with the designer, and we said, well, we'd like to put a porch on our house. And he said, what do you want a porch for? So we, we would like to sit on the front of our house and talk to our neighbors as they walk past on the sidewalk. He says, no, no, you don't want that. <laughs> no, no, we would like a porch on our house. No, no, we should enclose that, and then you have more space on the inside of your house. He said, you're not listening to us. We actually would like to use this as a feature in our home. I'm like, All right, fine, we'll put a porch on your house. But you, know, you get... The idea in which there are certain ways in which our culture and our society are, are designing ourselves uh, away from genuine interaction and community unless you make intentional choices otherwise. Other suggestions? Gary. Right. Yeah, so just the descriptor Gary was saying about some of the economic realities of our time that in order to make ends meet financially, there's often choices that we trade off and maybe one of the things that we trade off is interaction either in terms of family connections or otherwise and what energy does that leave us to connect with other individuals. Peter. Even the way we do business daily, like we used to go to the bank. Right. Online, we call phone call center. Yeah. 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 Right. We would think it odd in many ways now to actually have to go in and talk to somebody face-to-face about something in, some, in even some of our simple business interactions that we never used to have that built in. So lots of great examples. And keep, keep thinking about that. Keep talking it through and share some of your examples with others. Uh, and our text actually continues in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and proposes a bit of a remedy for this. It says we should think about the reality of friendship and move towards that in significant ways. So follow along as I read uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, continuing in verse 9 to verse 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It starts to ask the question, why two are better than one? 
So two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help them. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people who are lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one keep warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's a number of reasons that this text gives us as to why life is better when we do it with friends. Why two are better than one. Because you can do and experience things in community and in friendship connections that you can't do and experience alone. And there's a great image that's resonant in this text that just might help us out a little bit. All right, so, okay, Andrew, you've not had any licorice yet, is this correct? Okay, so come up and help me out. Oh, okay. Oh, well, you're a good friend, Ben. Thank you. That's another good illustration. Okay, who has not had a licorice in the front room? Okay, all right. Brady, come on up. Okay, so simple game. It's a licorice tug-of-war. If, uh, if you can break it, then it's yours. Okay, pull. Pull. Okay, all right. Easy enough. There you go. I'll let you have both halves, in fact. Okay, let's try it again. All right, two. Okay, I'm going to try it just a little trickier here. Okay, we're going to twist it up a little bit. Okay. Okay, ready? Okay, pull. Oh, okay, it lasted a little bit longer, but we still have... Okay, whoa, you're getting, like, all the goodies now. Okay, now we're going to try this. We're going to put a few more together and see if we can, see if we can get this done. Oh, geez, this is why I don't braid my daughter's hair. I can't even do it. Okay. This is really, like, not a dad job in our house. This is more like a... Okay, all right. Braid your hair? Yeah, okay. All right, fair enough. Okay, Josh, you ready to try this with me? Okay. No, no, that's a very good braid, but give it a pull. Okay. It's slippery. It's slippery. All right. All right. There you go. All right, but it took even longer to do that. So the, yeah, I'll pass those out. Okay. Now they've, they've got my grubby hands all over them, so check with your parents if that's all right. But, okay. It illustrates the, the more strength that you weave into that, it says in the Bible, in Ephesians 4.12, please ask 4.12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And it illustrates a principle of friendship for us that you can do and experience things together in your life that you just can't do alone. You can endure hardship together in a way that you can't when you're alone. You can give and receive support from one another in a way that you can't do alone. And this is one of those friendship principles that is hard for some of us to hear and understand because you might be a person in your friendship circles that's known as the rock, the one to whom everyone comes for support. But you might go through a season in your life where you're the one that needs support. And when that role begins to shift in your friendships, it begins to really kind of mess with your mind in certain ways. I can remember... Uh, a story in our own life, and bear with me if you've been around Jericho for a little while, because you'll have heard this story before, but it goes back to a few months after uh, the church started about five years ago, and uh, it was uh, just in between Christmas and New Year's, and we were building and just completing our new house in, in Willoughby here, and things were not going well at all. Our builder had had a stroke, 
Uh, at one time, in a space less than the size of this stage, we had about 28 tradespeople, and those of you who work in the trades know trades like their space. They don't like to be you know, crowded around by all the other trades working on top of them. So things were not getting done. Uh, they were not going very well at all. And as we got to the date that we were supposed to be moving in, uh, then our daughter Sophie went into the hospital. And so we had our whole house packed up, ready to move it in. The new house was not ready. And then we just had to leave it all locked up in a truck and go up to the hospital and attend to Sophie. And that was on a Saturday night. And I remember going to sleep that night thinking, I got no plan. I have no idea what's going to go on in the next 24 hours. You know, we don't, we don't have anywhere to live. My wife and my daughter are up in the hospital in intensive care. Like, I, don't even, I don't even know what this is going to hold for us. So the next day was Sunday, and so Jericho came, and we were meeting over at the high school at that time, and somebody stood up and said, hey, listen, do you know what? We need to step in here and help. One of our own is in need. One of our own is facing significant challenges. And so anybody that wants to help, you know, I want you to meet me over there. I would bring your cleaning supplies, bring your vacuums, and we're going to unpack this truck. And so somebody, I don't know, came and found me, got the keys, and I didn't even know what was going on. I was in such a fog. People drove the truck over there, unpacked things, uh, sheets were put on beds, cutlery was put in drawers. I mean, there was still construction dust everywhere. People cleaned that house top to bottom and in our absence. And we didn't even know what was going on at that time. And I remember when when someone came back and I was saying to them, well, I got to figure out what to do with the truck and what's going on. They said, don't worry about it. It's all done. It's all looked after. I said, no, 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 I, you don't understand. Like, I still have to get this moving truck back by such and such a time. And they said, I'm telling you, it's all done. And say, hi. Yeah, what else? What are some other good suggestions? Yeah. You could be a friend. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? Okay. Strike up a conversation with them. Yeah, figure out if there's things that you have in common with them. Yeah, what else? Share some of your dessert from lunch. All right. Yeah. It's a good way. To, as long as you have a good dessert, Pastor Keith, that's an okay way to make friends. But let me suggest for you that sometimes we as adults think that we're so sophisticated and we're so adult in so many ways, but sometimes we might forget some of the little basic principles of friendship that are articulated and practiced very well by those that are younger than us. But somehow... We have to figure out, in friendship, how do we get there? How do we get towards friendships that are interdependent, transparent, supportive, and encouraging? Well, let me suggest to you that the pathway to this is simple. It's like we talked about last week. Baby steps. Just take simple next steps. So start by, like this young lady said, introducing yourself, learning someone's name. And let me give you a tip on how to do that in a place like Jericho Ridge. If you walk up to somebody and you say to them, hi, are you new here? And they were like a founding member of the church. May not go so well for you, right? So just try a little bit of a different thing. Say to yourself, hi, I'm Brad. I don't know if we've had the opportunity to meet yet. And then allow conversation to kind of go from there. If you've met them already, they can say, yes, Brad, you're an idiot. You know, I've introduced myself to you several times already, and that's fine. You know, you can go on from there and apologize and build friendships. But it's just some ways of introducing yourself, and sometimes it just starts simply by learning and trying to remember somebody's name. 
might start by just taking a little bit of a risk, putting yourself out there. Sometimes when you're trying to make new friends, it doesn't always work out. There can be pain in the process, but you have to be willing to take the risk in order for it to happen. Earlier in the, in the summer, we talked about practicing hospitality. One of the simple ways that you can do it is just invite somebody out for lunch after our gatherings or have a neighbor in uh, for, uh, for watching TV or end of summer barbecue or uh, just food has a way of breaking down barriers and promoting conversation, which is why when we have events like Explore that we did yesterday, our hospitality team knocks it out of the park and does such an amazing job because food is one way in which you can practice hospitality and develop friendships just over those simple conversation uh, that happens. And so it's a great way to practice that. You can also engage in activities Together, and we're going to discuss this a little bit uh, next week together, what this looks like. Sometimes just jumping in and doing stuff together can be profoundly helpful. And let me give you a little illustration of what this looks like. You may see uh, there's, there's two different kind of uh, observations that I make when I go to Starbucks. So particularly for you guys, have you ever noticed that at Starbucks, what happens is that the ladies pull the chairs up and they sit like this and they face each other. They actually sit like that, and they lean over the table, and they're talking intently. I mean, when two guys go to Starbucks, you know, guys sit at Starbucks, we sit like this. This is, avoids making direct eye contact for an extended period of time. So you can sit here, you can have a great conversation, or we might even sit like this. A lot of guy stuff happens when you're doing things together, not necessarily when you're sitting and talking face-to-face at each other. Am I right, guys? All right. So just doing, engaging in activities together can be a way that you can build and establish friendship. That's why we do things like in June, we had our fishing weekend uh, together, or why we set sports nights up, uh, or why teams are such great fun serving together. Because sometimes when we do stuff together, out of that context emerges some relationships that can develop into friendship. And the last thing for this morning is just have some fun with it. Have some fun with developing friendships. Sometimes uh, it's an appropriate application when we gather here to have a bit more of a time of reflection and a time to ask God to search your heart and figure out if there's anything that needs uh, to change in your life. Uh, Today we're going to set a little bit of a different tone in the text of Ecclesiastes. And if it's true that two are better than one, then we're going to try twos and threes Instead of just sitting here in rows like this, what we've done is we've set up some tables at the side there for you. And there's some game tables there, and there's some tables uh, on that side as well. And what we want you to do is we're just going to wrap up a couple minutes early here, and we're just going to encourage you to spend some time, grab a coffee if you want, and just spend some time around those tables. And these are all very, 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 very simple and easy games that there's no long explanations. Pastor Keith and Pastor Mike wanted to bring, like, you know, like the settlers of Catan and all that. I said, you know, you'll be here till five in the evening. Like, just real simple games. Like, so we have Uno, we have Pit, we have Dutch Blitz. For those of you who are crazy about that, I lose it at every time because I'm much more interested in talking to the people instead of focusing on the card I need to be winning at. So these are games that don't take any explanation. And what we're going to do is uh, if you have kids that are upstairs, you can just wander upstairs, pick them up, and then come on back down in here. Grab your chairs, just move them around some of the tables. Some of them are multiplayer games. And just start going at it. Just say, 
Pick a game that you like and just start having some fun. Introduce yourself to some of the people around the table, some of our staff and some of our uh, hospitality team, sorry, our uh, front lines team will be playing table hosts, not in the Vegas sense of the word. Uh, they'll be playing table hosts for you and uh, just to help kind of facilitate some connection and some relationship. And so feel free to move around from table to table and take the opportunity to get to know the names of some of the people that are at the table around you. You can jump into another game. Uh, you can deal people in midway through your game. Just spend some time this morning just engaging in getting to know some people in the life of this community and just see where it goes and see what God might do and how he might use you to be a friend and how he might use you to influence those in your lives. So on behalf of the team here at Jericho, I want to thank you for being with us uh, this morning and just encourage you to have at her and uh, I'll put some licorice out for you guys, all right? So you can enjoy some time together. So you are dismissed. Head around some tables. You might want to pull them out, pull your chairs around, and we'll go from there. And uh, we will see you back here together next week at 1030 with us as we continue on with our series, The Wisdom of Friendship. God bless.